Welcome back to the Geekcentric Podcast, and welcome to our watch club for the Book of Boba Fett. This territory is mine. Go back to Nalhutta. Welcome back to Watch Club. My name is Nate, and this is our watch club for the Book of Boba Fett, Chapter 2, titled The Tribes of Tatooine, directed by Steph Green. If you're joining us for the first time, this is Watch Club, our weekly review series, kind of like a book club, but way better. Keep in mind, we will be going into full spoilers for this series and Star Wars in general, so if you haven't watched this week's episode yet, be sure to do so, and then come right back in less than 12 parsecs. Now... Before we're all threatened by our old boss's cousins, let me introduce you to the scum and villainy joining us today. First up, he's a junkyard Jawa who's jonesing for more Django. He's Justin Lawrence. And I'm looking for that spice, bro. You got that spice? So, I'll get that spice. I'll shoot a lizard up your nose. Let's do it. Let's go. Uh, <laughs> and uh, this week, finally, joining us from the cantina across the street. You know, sometimes he's saltier than a sarlacc on the sands of Tatooine. He's Kevin, the Clatoonian wonderkind, Hudson. I am back. Sorry, I was just uh, training with some Tusken Raiders in the desert there, but I'm uh, fully prepared now. <laughs> and last but certainly not least, he's hairier than a Wookiee, but he ain't no Star Wars rookie. We have the dankest dude on Dagobah, Darcy Dan. Thank Farrick Hudson. Yeah, I'm back. Excited to talk. <laughs> yeah, man, I'm stoked to have you back again. Um, you know, obviously, your Star Wars lore uh, knowledge is super helpful, uh, and I think this episode might help us uh, even a little bit further with uh, some extended uh, lore. Um, but listen, let's get right into it. Let's suck up some of those nose lizards and get into this episode. Uh, so this episode, you know, we, we pick up right from where we left off with Fennec Shand bringing in the captured assassin who we learn is part of a somewhat expensive group of assassins called the Order of the Nightwind. After refusing to answer any questions, Fennec drops him down into the Rancor pit where out of sheer dread, he reveals to them that he was sent by the mayor. Uh, but unfortunately for, for us, um, there was no rancor uh, to be seen. So what do you guys think of this opening? You know, were you, were you as disappointed as I was that we didn't get a rancor in that moment? I'm actually happy because w given what we know happened in Jedi, I mean, I can't see them just replacing the rancor. I mean, maybe a baby one that, right. that uh, you know, they were bringing Moochie. up to become the new threat. Yeah, Moochie. Yeah, Moochie from uh, the Bad Batch. And I was surprised that we didn't see it, but... Yeah, I, just, I thought it was... A, I, I liked that reveal that, again, they have no replacement. They just use that because people know of it. It's a great way to use that pit without using the pit. It's awesome. I loved it. I just have to say, this assassin's kind of lame. I mean, I like the idea, like, no man... You know, he's never going to give it up. You can't threaten him or torture him or anything you know he's about to get his head cut off he doesn't say anything but you threaten the rancor and all of a sudden he's spilling the beans the power I mean, of the rancor the power of the rancor you know? <laughs> i mean i think you know the rancor is probably really known well around mas espa right and you got to imagine how stories travel right because whoever's really interacted with the rancor probably has never spoken about it except for that one guy that like exactly. was crying yeah it's, <laughs> it's more of a it's more of a myth of of right. what it is and and people fear and yeah. i think that 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 was smart on fennec's part to to pull that up yeah well again death by blade would probably quicken painless death by right. rancor would be a 
torturous experience. <laughs> yeah, man. I, I think uh, I do want to shout out. I did love how the throne, and I, I know this was in the original movie, but the throne, like, moves forward. Like, it just speaks to how, like, horrible Jabba was that, like, he would want an automatic, kind of like a lazy seat. boy chair. That, seat. Yeah. yeah, that just <laughs> comes up towards the throne as the Rancor is killing people. Just super, super nice little attention to detail there. Yeah, I also, I liked uh, Fennec Shan in this scene. You know, the one downfall to this episode is that we didn't get enough of her, but again, there's there's more episodes to come. Uh, that sure. being said, I, I do think that she was, she kind of leaned into her character. She was she was very comfortable and confident. She was very tongue-in-cheek with, with her demeanor. Yeah, we said it last week. She's kind of the the Boba Fett to Boba Fett, yeah. right? And so it, uh, seeing her, you know, there's there's a few moments in this episode where you do see her like ready to have his back and it's 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 cool to see. And just really quickly, I do love that we got more Matt Berry as the the droid there. Uh, yes. Anytime I can get that guy for a scene in something, I'm I'm a happy camper. Oh, so good, so good. I want a whole episode based on him. So we head in town to confront the mayor, and after getting past the reception desk, uh, Mayor Makshaiz is revealed to be an Ithorian with a voice translator, and Makshaiz has the assassin killed, uh, and th- he thanks Boba for, for turning him in. He then claims he didn't send the assassin, and that Boba, sh- Boba Fett should question Garza Fwip instead. Um, so before we keep going, clearly, you know, we're getting the classic sort of crime character run around the he said, she said sort of thing. My question for you guys is, you know, wh- what do you think of Mak Shaiz? And if he didn't send the assassin, who did? I, I, I don't know. I think what happens in this episode continues from from the last week's episode, which establishes shadiness that we already know existed on Tatooine. And yeah, you can't really trust anyone. You don't know who to trust. You don't know who's involved. And I think that that's purposeful at this point to really kind of challenge who, who are the, who's the threat. And, and maybe the assassin was really sent by somebody other than the mayor. And he just thought in a pinch, I'll say the mayor sent me because maybe he'll have mercy if I'm brought in front of him versus who else it might be, you know? Oh, interesting. Yeah. I also think it could still be the mayor. I mean, the one guy who they have the testament from, he kills immediately and then just goes on saying like, well, I, you know, here's the money. Thank you for doing a good job. And it feels like he's still behind it. Again, Tatooine is rife with crime. So I wouldn't be surprised if there's multiple angles being worked against Boba Fett here. I will just say, because I know you guys last week took a little time to uh, poop on the, the major domo. Uh, didn't like him very much, and I am totally on board with that. Let's see this guy get popped, and sooner rather than later. <laughs> he is so just, he doesn't fit in this world. Kind of reminds me of Niles the, from Frasier. Niles as a, as a Twi'lek. <laughs> so much. Oh, dude. I liked it. You, I mean, you know if Niles was in this universe, he'd be a, he'd be a protocol droid. But, True. Um, but no, I I actually really like the, the Major Domo, and I actually thought his moment in here where he's like, he's like, uh, uh, sir, no, um, yeah, sorry, this is for employees only. Like kind of like mentality. I just thought I get it that it doesn't drive with everyone from that, especially when you have them sort of talking the way they are. You notice how like they like you didn't come in on a litter and like your grace and your pre- like they have this very old school Star Wars speech, tradition. But like, and then he's know, the man. concierge at a fancy hotel. It just yeah. doesn't work for me. Uh. I don't mind him. I don't mind him. But I, I agree with you. I think it would be really nice to see him get uh, some sort of uh, some sort of pop, if you will. Uh, okay, so then Boba and Fennec head over to Garza's sanctuary to confront her uh, and discover that she's sweating like a gumpta on Mustafar. Well, I don't know what a gumpta is. Uh, she reveals to Boba that the twin cousins of the late Jabba the Hutt are in town and they are here to lay claim to the throne. 
Boba says they're too preoccupied with the debauchery of Hutta uh, to bother with any ambitions on Tatooine. But then they hear the soft drums playing in the distance. They walk out to the sanctuary to be met by the twins themselves, and partially in Hatties, they discuss with Boba Fett that those t- these territories belong to them now. After flexing their badass Wookiee and threatening Boba with death, the Huts decide that bloodshed is bad for business, but they tell him to sleep lightly. Fennec Shan mentions that to kill them, they'd have to get permission, and Boba decides he needs to take one more bath okay so uh i have a couple of questions uh i want to bring up here but first what did we all think of actually seeing huts in this series uh i feel like there is far too people carrying them that was both me and <laughs> kelly watching people. it with me did you see it bending they were struggling it looked like it was bent yeah, too. <laughs> yeah, if it was bending that much there wasn't enough people to lift it there was like maybe at most 20 people carrying that and why and don't you have a droid like do it hippopotamus or more that's it's crazy to me yeah like when you see the scene in 300 and, and xerxes makes his his first appearance and he's got a thousand guys all under it you know like yeah. that it would have taken a lot more manpower even if the the platform was just on the back of two dewbacks or something you know something it, you know something right? that could actually probably handle that looking... weight a little bit better but anyways beyond yeah. that <laughs> uh, yes it was cool to see more huts especially having heard about them in the extended universe more of the other huts out there so it's cool to see more brought to the the real life screen 100 percent, yeah the live action aspect is is because because we, we because we've only really been introduced to other huts through the animated uh and comics mm-hmm. and stuff like that but like I, I thought it was a good good introduction and and it just sets the precedence of a, a new threat and i gotta say as soon as i heard huts i was a little worried mm. given i think one of my biggest issues with the first episode was that some of the creatures came off a little cheap looking i'm still not totally sold on those two gamorian guards i think that's a cool idea but I, i'm just not sold on their aesthetic but the huts here looked they looked great i i thought that really came across well yeah i mean like you know i think the show is doing a really good job with its practical effects and yeah. its cgi obviously it, you know it's disney i get it but it's still a television budget and so Celebrating i was it, a little though. worried that they were going to kind of look plasticky and 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 you know kind of bring back some pains of of previous cg huts that we may have seen in live action but um no they looked fine and i i loved seeing uh the male hut use that mouse thing as a sponge yeah. like, <laughs> like just like why does it have to be a living creature is that just not you know a sponge is not good enough for him? i don't know yeah i think the the practical effects again like last week's episode you know, using it in the right places helps to celebrate what what makes Star Wars Star Wars outside of just the stories and and the the universe. It is this commitment to effects that are practical and and that can you know really be captivating. And I think they they're doing that really well through this series in, in terms of celebrating that. You know, with Mandalorian having having the volume to to actually create these worlds, they're celebrating the practice of filmmaking through through making this series. So I think that translates really well. Speaking of practical effects, I think the costume work uh, of that Wookiee is absolutely insane looking yeah. i love uh, the look of him his eyes um yeah. right just uh, he gave me dwayne johnson vibes and like i know <laughs> i know that sometimes they like they like to do like the stunt casting for costume characters i'm just saying man like that's what a, good, a perfect that's a good idea right? like if you were gonna cast him for something like it'd be <laughs> pretty incredible to cast him as that character that'd be so dope yeah. i mean is that so uh, darcy you're, you're kind of a bigger fan i was reading that it, he might be from the comics can you oh, give us a little light on to totally from the is? comics yeah, that okay. is that is black curse santan i can't i never know how to read his name i <laughs> uh, say his name i've only ever read it okay uh, but he's basically the 
like bounty hunter equivalent of uh, um, Chewbacca. So he's he had to leave Kashyyyk because he did something wrong and then he was sent somewhere and did something wrong again. He's constantly been on the run working underneath all these different crime lords, you know, Jabba, Darth Lord, uh, Vader. And the last we saw him in the story, at least, he had uh, betrayed Darth uh, on one of his missions, basically, to help Afra escape, Dr. Afra, a uh, scientific archaeologist in the Star Wars universe. And so just seeing him here is really cool because he has a history of being just cutthroat and ruthless. Like he has left other Wookiees to die as a like trap to kill everybody coming after him. So like Whoa. he is just no holds barred care. for this guy. He doesn't care about Jeez. anything. So the fact that we're seeing him here, again, after having worked with Dr. Afra for a while, something clearly happened that he's working underneath a crime lord again. So I'm I'm really cool, excited to see where his story may go. Yeah, well, it, his introduction alone and with what you've just described proves why they, they brought him in. There is just so much story that could potentially be told with that character, whether it be re- related to, uh, you know, the existing canon or, or you know, taking things from outside of the the live action and incorporating it in like the comics which i think is great you know there's been a lot of a lot of people who want dr afra to to make an appearance in in the live action star wars form and it is 100 percent possible not just because of this character being brought in but it does prove that they can 100 percent commit to it if they go and, and who knows imagine telling a story with darth vader or it doesn't need to but like darth vader's involved in the story like i think i think there's a lot of interest in terms of keeping those canon elements at play but in the right amount it worked on the mandalorian having luke Right. So, you know, the potential of, of introducing this character and, and where his story could go is that's huge for Star Wars right now. So, dude, I'm I'm super intrigued to see. I I would love to see Dr. Afra show up yeah. in this show somehow. Um, but uh, the, the other question I kind of had uh, as well was, you know, she, Fennec mentions they have to get permission from someone if they wanted to kill the Huts. So I thought the daimyo does as the daimyo <laughs> pleases. So why, why, who's, who, whose permission do we need to get here? I'm wondering if it's something to do with back on Nal Hutta, because again, they are kind of like a ruling class of this planet, and they're spreading their reign and control. So I'm wondering if, like, in order to kill them, you need to ask them permission, or maybe they're even talking about the fledgling republic that is starting to grow at this point. Oh, I see. It's I have no idea who it could be, yeah. but those are the two things I'm thinking of, yeah. really. That's or good... there's some sort of hierarchy in the crime world where there is sort of a, a, a head yeah. that sort of watches over everything and, and you need to sort of watch your role yeah. within that. I, I think that's another mystery, too. So some interesting new threats from this present storyline i i was very intrigued with this small window that we got here well yeah that's the amazing thing it was only you know five minutes worth of the episode basically and we got so much story to sort of speculate about and look forward to going forward yeah, they, and they told us back. so much <laughs> in such a short amount of uh, amount of time that it i was okay that the rest of the time was was spent in a back 100%. to dream yeah exactly <laughs> a back to dream awesome well and do we we were talking uh last week justin you had mentioned that it could have it could very well be that the um who is that darth maul was crimson sun could be potentially maybe that's maybe that's who they have to ask permission from you know what i mean like they were pretty powerful i don't know if they would be more powerful they gotta ask amelia yeah there we go amelia clark there we go (laughs) i mean she i think she'd be a little oh that's older by this point yeah yeah maybe it's a different actor 
the Crimson Sun, it was like one of the big three with the Huts and then the Pike Syndicate being the other two. Yeah, Pike kind of is, ran yeah, yeah. the Outer Rim, outer rim crim, uh, Crime World. So, uh, I mean, maybe it's them, but again, I feel like it'd be more asking the higher-ups in just the Hut criminal order in general because, yeah, again, I don't... I don't know. Very interesting. Oh, Very interesting. interesting to see where this goes. Oh, it's Crimson yeah, before, Dawn. Be- Is it Crimson Dawn. I was going to say, before anyone roasts us in the comments. It's there are too many Dawn. names to remember. We can make save, a few good mistakes. Save. Seriously. <laughs> yeah. um, okay, so let's get to the, the, I guess, the bulk of the episode, uh, the rest of the episode, where we see, you know, Boba jumps into the, the back to tank and, you know, he's... We see his, his flashback to, as the internet has lovingly called them. Um, and, you know, we see him learning from the Tuscans on, you know, how to fight with a gaffy stick. Uh, after training, he witnesses the unnecessary murder of many of the tribe during a drive-by of a long speeder <laughs> where the Tuscans are essentially helpless. Uh, during the funeral, he sees the biker gang that we saw in the last episode, and he asks the tribe's chief permission to stop the train. Uh, he says all he needs is a rifle and a stick. Uh, and he follows the speeders to a small cantina where they berate the patrons there. And just as Cammy's boyfriend is about to get his ass whooped, uh, the door opens and we see Boba enter in his white pajamas as he shows us yet again just how capable he can be uh, with a gaffy stick. He rounds up the speeders uh, and brings them back to the tribe that next morning. So last week we had talked about how we didn't really enjoy, you know, the confrontation, the fight scene of the episode with the Nightwind assassins. Did this one make up for it for you guys? Hundred percent, hundred percent. This is the fight style I want. I was expecting last episode. I was a bit disappointed to see it being so sluggish, but that was the yeah, just ruthless and master yeah. of the weapon that he only recently picked up. I loved it. Yeah, when it comes to the action scenes here. You know, uh, Tamora just really commits. He he leans into that brutality, that intensity. Um, you know, and it's it's just it feels so um, primal in in its moment. And I and I love that we're seeing it without necessarily the boba mask because we got that in the Mandalorian, which was like a really cool payoff for for, for for fans to see Boba Fett just whoop ass. And here we're getting to see you know Boba as the man that he is really do it. And I, and I think that that just it's just adding so much more depth to his character, right? So. Yeah. He's in his more white, than just the suit. Yeah, yeah. In, in his white pajamas. Yeah, and it's, but that's just it. And the white pajamas yeah. make him look so, so sort of like typical and like uh, prescriptive. Every day, you know what I mean. And yeah. every day, right? So it's yeah. it's very yeah. it's very interesting. It's very different from his first appearance in the series too. I mean, he comes in in the armor, looking very imposing, and immediately like, oh, that guy looks scary. Yeah. But if he comes in these like falling apart rags and just <laughs> carrying a wooden stick, you're like, oh. What's this crazy guy doing here? I'm not intimidated <laughs> yeah. by him, and yeah. he then goes to prove you should be, and I, I loved it. I thought it was a great introduction to his new fighting style. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm I'm personally blown away by how much I'm enjoying this story Me that's too. being told yeah. here. If you had said, "Oh, we're going to get a whole bunch of flashbacks about Boba Fett hanging out with uh, Tuscan Raiders," I would have been like, "This show is going to stink," and this is. Easily my favorite part of the show. I'm thoroughly engaged in what's going on. They've done such a great job with that. Uh, really quickly, though, I will say, is anybody else bothered by the back-to-tank room in Jabba's palace? Like, that room it, does not look like something that is in Jabba's palace. It's more no, like It a looks like it's on Coruscant. Naboo, it's a Naboo yeah. palace or something. Yeah. That's a Queen yeah. Amidala room, not a, a room Jabba had off with beautiful swaying curtains. That, that's the only thing that bugs me every time we go into that room. I mean, you have to imagine, right? Okay, I'm going to defend it even just a little bit. 
maybe, you know, Boba walked into that room and he's like, I need this place to be peaceful and resting and I need it to remind me of my home, <laughs> of Fennec, Camino. Get, the, get over so to get bed, it bath, as, and beyond. Yeah, get it as clean, <laughs> get it as nice clean as we can. in the corner. Yeah. <laughs> Um, I going back to the fight. I, I want to mention, you know, we we got confirmation that Nikto's uh, have nuts. Um, so we got we got to see that epic epic shot between the thighs. Um, and then uh, and then I I do yeah I love how he was able to adapt using you know the gaffy stick like you said, and you you kind of get the sense that you know he hadn't really ever fought with a gun before he met the the tus- or sorry right. without a gun right. So you know so you kind of see that where it's got that western sort of showdown. Uh, vibe as well, obviously. Even the way he wrestles up the speeders like they're horses, <laughs> he yeah. like ties them together, like so good. I also like the fact that he breaks the gun like after two or three shots. Like it shows yeah. that he's he he realizes the benefit of close quarters combat for sure. And it also just yeah. highlights the irony of what you were pointing out, Nate. Like he only used a gun to kill by blasting, and here he is using it as a gaffy stick, and he breaks right. it right. So it's like <laughs> I, I just thought it was like this sort of. George Lucas poetry, if you will, where it's just like sure. it's like it's very connected to so many different layers to show him that the gaffy stick is so much stronger than absolutely the gun. totally for sure. Well, like it just shows like that the wood they're using for those gaffy sticks are impressive. Yeah, you know that oh, they yeah. can take a beating versus a, a, a metal man-made gun. Absolutely. Quite impressive. Yeah, I also just want to point out too, like you mentioned, Cammy, and I, I can't remember her boyfriend's name, but aren't they from that one deleted scene? They are. Yep. Where like they go to Tashi Station. Yeah. So was that Tashi Station? So th- did this we is finally where we, get? We're going back and forth. A lot of people are saying it is. A lot of people saying it's not. It didn't quite look like it to me. I I, I honestly, after watching that deleted scene, which I looked up today, um, I'm not sure what. Tashi Station even is? Yeah. Is it an arcade? Is yeah, it a, a, a fuel? That's station? why the scene was know. deleted. Do you know what I mean? Like <laughs> right. there was just like there was no purpose of 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 keeping it. But you got to think like especially for it seemed like it was the cool arcade hangout spot because of the fact of how badly Luke whined about I was gonna go to Tashi Station, <laughs> right? Like I want to go hang with my friends. Yeah. Come on! And like you see the like sort of really. Um, after watching that deleted scene, look it up if you haven't. It's on YouTube. And you see, like, the very sort of 70s style, like, hang out with my girlfriend, like, just constantly, like, touching each other sort of vibes from Fixer and Cammy, uh, who, thankfully, in this scene, they're a little bit more, like, <laughs> modernized. They're not, they don't look like they're just been stoned out of their mind, like, laying down together like a Yoko John Lennon picture um but uh you know seeing them debut after all these scenes or all these years finally but they're still wearing the same clothing <laughs> as they did well, in it's that. only a couple of years after or they oh, i guess that it is right it's a lot of years place. for us but for them yeah, yeah, yeah. it'll probably be it, it's okay. been five four five or six years tops type thing well i yeah. certainly hope we get a full spinoff of cammy and fixer dating like a reality show on tatooine and then she ends up going out with a nikto or something i don't know uh, but it's a Boba, <laughs> Boba presents. Oh, dude, I'm saying Star Wars reality show. Let's go. Boba presents the speeders to the Tuscan leader as a gift, and then teaches the Tuscans how to ride them uh, in a beautiful <laughs> montage uh, where we see them sort of uh, learning, and and then and then once again they're confronted by that that train, uh, and this time instead of freaking. 
freaking out and, and trying to shoot at it, they, they're ready. They ride towards it. Uh, and during the thrilling chase, you know, we see them lose a few of, of, Tusk, of the Tuscans. But in the end, Boba is able to get to the front of the train where the conductor droid escapes. Uh, and then we see him finally, using the gaffy stick, manage to stop the train completely. At the end, we see Boba Fett informing these enemies who are confirmed to be the Pike Syndicate, mm-hmm. uh, that from now on, they need to pay a fee to travel through these lands. Uh, and we learn that they were transporting spice, as Pikes you know, generally like to do. Mm-hmm. So, guys, any ideas as to, like, why? So why are the Pikes hanging out on Tatooine? Uh, and what did we think of their faces in this episode? Um, they don't look how I remember them. As for how they look, I feel like it's just probably going with that practical effects route. Like, you can't make them as skinny and gangly as... They are depicted in the animated series, right. so I'm okay with this. Like they still look, have the same mask and same shape; they're just mm-hmm. a bit beefier. It, I, I understand why they made that choice, and I'm okay with it because again, that practical effects just takes you takes it even further to making it feel like a real world. So yeah. I thought it was really cool to see them in live action. Yeah, yeah, man. Well, I, I will just say that this might be my my favorite action scene of all the the the. Um, Mandalorian shows that we've gotten so far. I mean, as much as people liked to compare Mandalorian to an old school Western, this episode yes. just yeah. has everything you want from that. You mentioned, you know, the the the, the speeder bikes being kind of like horseback yeah, exactly. and then literally doing a train robbery. Yeah. I mean, it is just so yeah. old school Western. It was awesome. I, I feel like it's very clear how this scene was written and then readjusted. And you pointed it out: the horses were replaced by speeder bikes, and you know, the yeah. train and everything like that. So, but you know, again. And it does show deep connectivity that that Star Wars has to the Western vibe while also giving this like real great spectacle. Because I don't know, I I feel like this shows the commitment that, you know, Lucasfilm has to TV by giving it that theatrical spectacle that we might anticipate from Star Wars. And it's handled at the same sort of level. um, And and I really enjoyed it for for that. Yeah, I will say, I mean, I I, I love the, the Western vibes that it did give. I do think, though, it is... Uh, the the sort of the idea of the story is a bit overplayed at this point. Literally, just coming off of Mandalorian when we got the episode three of the sort of the 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 you know the outsider comes to the villagers to help them with their outside threat sort of idea. I will say though, it was done so, so much better in this episode than in that episode three of Mando. Um, and uh, I was just you know I was kind of waiting for for Boba to start falling in love with one of the. T- Tuscan Raiders, and then they almost kiss or something. I don't even know what that would look like. Um, <laughs> but uh, we we get to the the final sequence where Boba is presented with a lizard that uh, shoots up his nose and some spice, uh, and then he goes on a journey. Uh, and you can tell, you know, it's kind of a, a tradition for the tribe. Um, during this walk, we see him remember sort of the struggles of his youth on Camino, yeah. consistently being you know trapped and alone and without his dad. And we see that sort of fear played through with him being trapped and helpless at the tentacles of the Sarlacc uh, and, and then again emulated by the tree. Um, but he breaks off a branch and brings it back to the tribe where they ceremoniously help him craft it into his own gaffy stick. Uh, and they end that celebration with a tribal dance around the fire. And uh, that brings us to the end of the episode. Um, so I, I gotta ask, um, what did you guys think of sort of these, these last few moments getting to see this vision? Was there anything you sort of picked out from it? Well, I, I'm, I, again, I love 
this sort of continuing of wanting to humanize the Tuscan Raiders and and it's just it's absolutely fantastic. I do wish we could identify with who they are. You like have yeah. names for them. At the same time there might be a commentary to say about them being a group of people that are collectively together. Um and and I I enjoyed that we got I guess there's a bit of a parallel here between, you know, Boba living amongst the sea and you know Tuscan Raiders coming from from the from the seas of Tatooine before before I guess as they described it was dried up so you know right. I, 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 I there's this nice symmetry that they're creating with how these two have maybe found themselves through through their cultural differences I, I, I think there's something really uh, really nice about what they're doing with this story maybe I'm reading way too much into it yeah man I, I think the the you called it the parallel of the sand and the, the, the sea, if you will. And seeing the sand turn into the sea was really cool. Um, I, I want to give credit where credit is due. Joseph Scrimshaw on YouTube, uh, he he has a podcast called Force Center. And he describes the Tusken Raiders in a way that made me kind of like this episode a little bit more. In that he brings up the parallels between Boba Fett in the three three moments of his life. Mm-hmm to the three major Tuscans that we are sort of getting a little bit more from the child, the warrior and the leader. Right. And we see how he, he, you know, he starts off as a child, even getting beat by the child, given a child gaffy stick, yeah. uh, you know, in that, in that first episode. And then we start to see him become the warrior in this episode and going forward, obviously with the modern stuff, Beautiful. he wants to become the leader. Beautiful. So I, I really like that description. That makes so sense. I, I, that know, makes absolute. On that one. Yeah. That makes absolute sense. I feel like you can identify right. with each of those characters. Yeah. Because I mean, it's, Aesthetically, they have clearly defined these three characters yes. that we're supposed to sort of recognize and identify with. I mean, um, even the guy who was practicing the the leaping from or one woman. speeder bike to another, yeah. or woman, the, char- the character, um, we, we kind of recognized that character as the train uh, attack was happening. And um, so I think they, they've done a great job of singling out the ones that we need to sort of care about yeah. a bit more than the others. Yeah. yeah. I, I, what I really like too is like, we're talking about how like the Tuscans are kind of more of a group that collectively works together. Yeah. And, and on this spirit walk, you can imagine that the tree mm-hmm. and the things they're seeing represent the group that they came from. So sure. seeing Boba or yeah, Boba react to like, you know, picking up his father's helmet and seeing his own reflection mirrored within it. And then seeing where he struggled in the tar- Sarlacc pit. Like it really tells a story of where his family or where he's come from and how he's his his family almost or his his heritage has been tainted by these Jawas stealing his his armor. And you can see them in the the larger tree that could right, represent his father. Yeah. Like, they look like Jawa and so like he needs to fight back and re- reclaim his heritage because that's what where he, he came from. So I thought it was really neat to see that be like the the guiding aspect of his journey. And again, the fact that he makes his own gaff stick too, that adds another layer of connection to the weapon. Like he spent the time to pick the wood and then shape the wood to become this this multi-tool of uh, death, basically. Well, and speaking of that flashback, was that a scene from Attack of the Clones where he's looking out the window so. as the no, ship produced flies up? for this? So how did yeah, they show. do that? I'm impressed because that well that was really. I well think they done. I think they like you can tell when they show the reflection of the kid. There was some sort of like compositing work, like they must have lifted from something and did a bit of another a, moment of Daniel Logan's face, exactly, yeah. and just did a little <laughs> yeah. bit of an adjustment to like the speed ramp, and because you can hide it with a reflection, right? Like I, I do think that it really does help that they leaned into that without having to like recast. I do think it would be really impressive if they were to kill off one of these three 
Tuscan Raiders. Um, I honestly thought happen, that yeah. that that he was. There was a brief second where I thought he was holding the child Tuscan Raider in his arms, walking towards the fire, and it, it wasn't. Um, but I, I just, you know, it'll be interesting to see if they go that far. Because to be honest with you, again, and that's one of the things I really enjoyed about this version of this story being told again is, you know, in in Mando episode three, none of those villagers died. None of them. I don't believe any of them got even hurt. And and here we see like they're these Tuscans are fully dying. They're getting. They're run over by the train and all this stuff so um you know kudos kudos to to star wars for both humanizing them while at the same time you know giving us that sort of gravitas of the situation it's 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 really well done i 100 percent agree but can the tuscan raiders please protect their banthas a bit better oh i mean when the train banthas. came by at one point they were using one as gun cover that was awful <laughs> It that had was already after it had already been shot. Yeah, oh, yeah. they can hide him. Be- okay, hide him further down the dune. Like, yeah. They don't need to be right at the peak. I don't get that. But Kevin, if we get some badass Bantha shield armor in one future episode, cool. let's freaking go, dude. And I mean, I'm during so the train robbery, you do see that uh, they're a herd animal, and there was a large herd that that yes. was passed, and so I guess they're just they, you easy know, to come by. They're yeah, they're expendable <laughs> for the oh, the, the no. Tuscan Raiders. After his whole, uh, just before the trip and after the heist, when he's talking to the leader and the leader's talking about how there were many tribes that had split up and some fight through war, others just seek to survive and stuff like that. And I'm wondering if that'll be this, this, these flashbacks end goal is him uniting the Tuscans. And once he's settled the Dune Sea, then he can focus on what is populated and, and really take control of Tatooine, both from the, the wilds to the cities. So I, I, I would I almost want- like to, well, I, just to your point, I'd almost like to see the, his friendship with the Tuscans play into the current storyline. And that's mm-hmm. going to well, be that's, a huge that's help where, for him, right? That's where I'm hoping this all comes yeah. together, right? Because if we're yeah. spending this much time, yeah, it has to mean something more for the bigger picture, hopefully. Well, listen, uh, we've got the bigger picture on the way every week uh, here with Watch Club. But um, I will say, you know, just before we get to our overall thoughts and final score, uh, we actually have a writing question from friend of the show, Steve, who asks, um, I get why they keep having him go into the, the back to pod for the purpose of going into these flashbacks, but why else might he be going into the pod? Uh, Steve writes in and says, I think, uh, you know, he might be sick or dying. Would love to know your thoughts. I think it's clear that he is sick or dying. It would be interesting if they if that does also become a relevant piece of information to, to Boba, because there's been people talking about the fact that, oh, this might be the end of his character, and I'm like, really? If he dies. Yeah. yeah. I'm like, really? Like, that's mm. that's what we're building towards? I mean, in episode one, we do see him get his ass kicked, and he's like, back to the back to the back to tank, please, <laughs> yeah. you know? But I think there's, there's scarring on his body. I yeah. wonder, is it something from being in the Sarlacc pit 100%. that affected him? I, to- I was going to say that. Like, clearly, you know, being in there, he couldn't breathe. Like he was inhaling all these like fumes and stuff from the Sarlacc pit. He's probably suffering some long-lasting ramifications that are only now being addressed, and probably will take that much longer to heal or are unhealable and heal. He needs to rely on that now, almost like Darth Vader relying on the suit. Well, for that to work from a timeline standpoint, you're right. It would have had to have been like a dormant injury because we see him. He's he's kicking butt in this episode, and he's you know he's just just recently gotten out of the the pit. So I, I I'm also wondering too. You know, Darcy, you brought up a really awesome uh, theory uh, that I I think it stormed the internet, went viral about how the stormtroopers uh, having the you know after Order sixty six having their inhibitor chips uh, in, in enabled. That's what causes them to never get you know hit a shot uh accurately um i'm almost wondering in a similar vein 
maybe his dependence on the Bacta tank or pod or whatever it is, is causing him to maybe not be able to fight as well. Maybe he's like addicted to it. Maybe it's some sort of drug. I don't know. He's mixed some spice in there. I don't know. The, the other theory I had uh, while thinking about why he keeps going back is maybe he is a clone. So maybe there is some of that cellular degradation that he's talking about. Yeah. In the Clone oh, Wars yeah. and stuff like that. So, again, he might be a batch one, no augmentation, but that might not take away the fact that once he, his body reaches a certain age, it will start to break down type thing. Interesting. Yeah. Well, well the fine folks at New Rockstars uh, did a little bit of a deep dive theory on on something which I thought was really interesting as well. And, and it's uh, there was an old book, uh, The Tales of Bounty Hunters, uh, from like the early 90s or, or, or whatnot. And they had a story in there about Boba Fett because obviously he was he was a huge craze and, and the people wanted more of his stories. And in there, very much what, what you were describing, Darcy, they talk about him almost having like a cancer, like a disease that really? is forever an, like an ailment on him that would inevitably kill him uh, because of, of what happened in the Sarlacc pit. So I don't think that's far off it exists in legends and while everyone thinks that oh everything from legends is gone yeah for now but it is a huge pool of stuff that they can pull from at any yeah. point in time and say oh now it's canon i just hope they don't kill him after season one no we need we and tomorrow is really that. committed like he's episodes. so committed right so and he's so good yeah, in the role. yeah. And I, I think you know it is interesting his dad at his age had a huge healthy head of hair uh, but uh, you know you could argue maybe the the sarlacc pit acid uh, burned it all away but i'm just i'm just saying man oh, your point about him being causes sick. hair growth issues so yeah he scarred up the wazoo i wouldn't be surprised mm. if that's affecting the hair I mean, you, know about, you know about hair, yeah. right? <laughs> uh, I just want to say, like, uh, we saw in episode one him getting dressed by the droids in the Boba Fett armor. And then we see that paralleled in this episode yeah, when he's uh, getting adorned with the, the garb of the Tusken Raiders. And I thought mm -hmm. that was really cool. And maybe that's where he got the inspiration. Exactly. To, you know what? It's I don't monumental. Need to put my armor on. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I'll, become the, I'll become the Fett, basically, yeah. Yeah, with that, that stance. I loved it. I thought it was really cool. Yeah. Which is why maybe he, there's more moments of him with his helmet off in the modern storyline than with it on. And before we even close up there, just you guys talking reminded me of something else I wanted to bring up. And, and the fact that Boba's, uh, you know, almost eagerness to be accepted by these people. Uh, we kind of have seen that in his history already. I mean, as soon as he lost his father, he, he tried to surround himself with people that, you know, he could trust. But again, they're all bounty hunters, so he couldn't place as much trust in them as, as he would want it. So he was almost looking for a family. So seeing his acceptance into the Tuscan Raiders and his willingness to be accepted, I think goes a long way to show his character, like having wanted to find a place that he can defend and almost call home. So I thought that was a really cool piece that we almost got uh, like confirmed in this whole episode. And, that, and that's a really great call out because I feel, you know, as much as we look at the live action portrayal of, of Boba Fett and understand that he was very on the sidelines and, you know, then we think about, you know, the lore and legends of, of Boba Fett, but really the only other instance that we've seen Boba Fett, Boba Fett in, in action is, is animated. And you have to think that Tamora's character has to be influenced by both. Right. It has to be influenced by that past character that isn't an animated form, but also the 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 lore and, and, and intensity and the brutality of, of what would be Boba Fett of of the the original trilogy. So I think that's such a great call out to acknowledge that it's coming from both sides of, of influence to kind of bring this character forward. Two little details from this episode that I thought were really cool was it involves the train scene. And the first was 
you see this train passing through their lands and disrupting their livelihood or their lives and potentially being a threat to them. You can almost understand why in episode one, they're seen firing off at speeders blowing by. I mean, they just see, you know, foreigners with their machinery coming through their land and, and disrupting their way of life. And so it, it maybe it stems from, you know, this, this sort of train route or something else very similar to that. That's always been, a threat to them. I just thought that was a really cool level of detail. And then, uh, you know, you see the guy pick the guy off in the window of the moving train with a, a brilliant bullseye. And I believe Obi-Wan tells Luke that they are excellent marksmen when they're looking at the, the Jawa freighter there. So I just thought really cool little callbacks. They're very subtle. Yeah, no, I, I, uh, I definitely sort of dug how they, they really, again, they fleshed out these, these characters so much more. Yeah. Um, okay, well, listen, we got to get to our overall thoughts and score for this episode, which we're going to be rating on a scale of one to five brand new gaffy sticks. Kevin, you're going to start us off this week. Uh, I really, really enjoyed this episode. Um, coming off of last week's, uh, if I were to give that episode a score, it probably would have been closer to a three. Um, I really liked a lot of elements of it. I, I wasn't a fan of maybe the first 10 minutes or so, but really thought the episode won me over as we started to learn more about what this show was going to be about. Um, and the strong part from the previous week's episode was, again, the strength here, and that is his his time spent with these Tuscan Raiders. And not just to enhance his character and show development for him, but it also, as we've said a lot on this show, it's grown our understanding of these Tuscan Raiders that we've been familiar with since 1977, but have known almost nothing about. We, I feel so much more attached to these characters as a species in the Star Wars universe, and, and the show's done a, a really terrific job with that. Uh, again, it has probably my favorite action scene from a Star Wars television show to date, uh, and I'm really, really enjoying Tamora's portrayal of Boba Fett uh, so far. And so this episode was really, really strong for me. I mean, they're dancing around a fire at the end. That's normally something I'm hucking a, a limp wrist at going, get out of here. And I was well, at like, least, yeah, at let's least, go. I'm at least Ewoks weren't there, man. Let me tell you. Exactly. <laughs> hey, that scene will forever hold a special place in my heart. So maybe it, it reminded me of that subconsciously. But no, even elements like that, it had endeared me enough to, to, to enjoy them. And so really, really strong outing. I'm going to give this a solid 4.3 newly carved... Gaffy, gaffy sticks out of five. Love it. Awesome. Uh, Darcy, go ahead. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, before I get into my thing, Kevin saying Ewoks there is reminding me that about the Tusken Raiders, we the, one of the few little tidbits we knew before is that they're distant cousins or relatives of Jawas. the Jawas. Yeah. So I think it was oh. really cool to see in this episode, their first instinct to seeing this tech was to scrap it for parts. Mm-hmm. And I'm like that. <laughs> you can see the relationship at least yeah. between those two species, despite how, how far departed the, the relationship is. But going into my ranking, again, I loved so much about this episode, both in the, the current timeline and these the, the, the flashbacks. Uh, and I think it's great because, again, like you're saying, we're learning more about the Tuscan Raiders and... We, are getting attached to them as a people and a tribe and stuff like that. And, and again, that leads towards his future storyline where why he's trying to rule through respect is because if people respect him, they'll want to work together for the greater good type thing. So I thought it's really cool. Did a really good job with the action scenes. Uh, step up from last episode. Uh, the soundtrack again was really cool. Uh, a lot of it stood out very 
percussive and, and, and again, tribal in that aspect. So I loved all of that. Uh, yeah, going to be a solid 4.5 out of 5 newly carved gaffy sticks for me because that was just, I loved a lot of that. And I'm hoping that they can take it even further with the next few episodes. Dope. Yeah, well, I, I enjoyed this episode uh, as well. It, it welcomes some new threats in the present storyline while driving what is obviously a very heartfelt and action uh, oriented storyline in the past. Um, you know, seeing the continued relationship between Boba and the Tuscans is, is awesome. It, you know, as Kevin was saying it, it humanizes uh, them rather than just they're perce- being perceived as savages. And I, I just feel like they're giving such a, a deep connectivity between Boba's character and, and the Tuscans that just feels very uh, important. Um, and, and Tamora Morrison, again, delivers, you know, he commits to the action scenes. He really leans into that brutality and that intensity. But beyond that, he, he's, he's showcasing more of a human side to Boba. He, he, is, he is showing a comedic side when he's helping them learn how to ride the speeder. And then also he's like, bouncing up yeah, and down, exactly. Yeah. Like a banta. <laughs> <laughs> and then also like the more emotional portrayals as, as he kind of, we, we explore the depths of his, his, of his backstory and, and the sort of trauma as we were referencing last week um, establishing Boba Fett is more than just a cool bounty hunter stuck in Star Wars lore um, I agree with the comments that that much like last week's episode the pacing does feel odd as we spend very little time in the present and and more in in the past but the present story gave me at least what I wanted future threats while the past storyline filled in all the blanks for the character of Boba Fett and deepens a relationship that I think again is going to be very meaningful later in this in the series um this is an obvious part two to last week's episode which makes me wonder why they just didn't release both of these both at the same time. at the same time just to kind of really help yeah. cement what this whole series is about but with that i am going to be giving this episode the same score that i gave it last week which is four out of five newly carved gaffy sticks all right i mean honestly if it wasn't for uh you know that 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 video i mentioned i watched uh earlier um about the the sort of the the mirroring between boba fett and and the the tuscans and our conversation i honestly was leaning more towards a a 3.5 on this episode. I, I feel as though, for me personally, I'm enjoying those aspects of the storyline. I do think of a, it is a little bit overplayed at this point of that same idea that we literally just got in Mando Season 1, Episode 3. And, and the moment they started sort of going down that trail for this episode, I started to sort of feel like, okay, I mean, I know exactly where this is going. Um, but I will say it was so much so much better done in this episode. It was so much more thrilling. The The train sequence was fantastic. Um, and, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm really enjoying that part of his storyline. I will say, though, I'm, I'm more intrigued at this point in seeing fresh ideas yeah, with Star Wars. And I think the crime, I think the crime sort of Godfather style is something that we don't really have enough of in Star Wars. Live and I action. get it. They're trying to do right live action, and they're trying to do the the Western homage, and that's sure. great. But we've gotten that a bunch of times already. So I kind of would prefer if we got to spend a little bit more time in his current storyline. And I think after this episode, I I've got a, a small feeling in my gut that they're going to maybe put a little bit more focus on that going forward. Now that we've gotten sort of the big payoff of his time with the Tuscans, uh, for the most part. 
part. This was kind of a really big moment for them. I don't know what more they can do with his character and them going forward, uh, maybe a little bit more. Um, so, you know, this episode, it didn't it didn't blow me away, but I really enjoyed it. And after having this discussion with you, it, it brought my score up a little bit. So four brand new gaffy sticks out of five for this uh, this chapter two. Uh, that is that is it then, I guess. Um, I, I love the, all the points that we made tonight. Uh, great discussion, gentlemen. Um, that's it for this week's episode of Watch Club. If you enjoyed it, uh, we hope you did. And if you did, make sure to subscribe to us wherever you like to listen to podcasts, if you haven't already. And if you'd want to write into the show with your thoughts or predictions on the shows we cover in Watch Club, just like Steve, well, let me shoot first over to our resident junkyard, Jawa, to tell you just how you can reach us. Well, they can reach us at wearegeekcentric at gmail.com. That's wearegeekcentric at gmail.com. Or if you want to be like Steve, you can also reach out to us on Twitter at geekcentricyt or on Instagram at wearegeekcentric. There we go. Hello there. Hello there. Uh, Keep in mind, we have a ton of other episodes covering the latest and greatest shows and movies out now, including our spoiler-filled review and reaction for Spider-Man No Way Home, as well as our spoiler-free reviews for Don't Look Up and Cobra Kai Season 4, which uh, just dropped pretty recently on Netflix. So definitely go, you know, check out those reviews, check out those shows. Uh, And we are going to be having a ton more content coming to you in 2022 uh, as we start to look forward to maybe some more uh, traditional episodes uh, of the Geek-Centric Podcast coming back. Justin, Kevin, Darcy, thank you so much for joining me for this Watch Club. And as we say... Don't fret, Boba Fett! Fett.